A real bodice ripper contains explicit, salacious, delicious, not safe for work content. Isn't that great? But no, seriously, listener discretion is advised. A real bodice ripper. 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 I have my rankings all lined up for us. And I have, like, yeah, we'll get to it. This is an interesting book. I... I feel like what I've learned is I need to stop choosing people's first work of fiction mm. and perhaps just look up what is their most popular and start with that as a nice little starting point. Mm. Um, yeah, that's one of my big takeaways from this one. <laughs> yeah, it's just like that one 18,000 series book you got me into. There's like 1,800 of them and you were like, it doesn't get really sexy until book 25 or something <laughs> which one was that it was literally the last book we covered before the <laughs> oh oh that one well you know I said it it gets it gets like crazy sexy like crazy like you get to the orgies like four books in <laughs> but she doesn't have like sex until the second book I don't think I don't know I'm I'm such a I need, I need my sexy times. I need them. Yeah, we're looking for we're looking for payoff. We're looking <laughs> for payoff. Like, oh my goodness, I just I think I told you this one as I was driving through how I was listening to this one that kind of involves like demigods. Um and I was like, dude, there's only like 10% left of this and they haven't slept together yet. And I don't see how they're gonna sleep together yet. And I finished it and they did not sleep together. They they like kissed twice and I was just like sorry no I don't know how long it will take you to get to like sex but I need something some promise of sex (laughs) that tells me because not everything's about sex Rachel I Um, know (laughs) I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) fucking deal um anyway no I just feel like it that to me says it's too slow of a burn because Mm -hmm. If there was a little bit more meats or something, there's just not enough there. And that's how, that's like my reflection when I read a book like that um, is I'm like, okay, yeah. if there was maybe like – I don't know. Because obviously with the Gar- Gardella series – Yeah. Like it started very tame very in the beginning. Tame. But with some delicious, delicious <laughs> wrist kissing. Like will we ever get over Sebastian? <laughs> never. I will never get over him. He is my first – most wonderful love in yeah, literature. Because, well, because we had him and his passion and just, like, there was something so palpable there. So when, when like, a book, a first book doesn't have, like, the, the deed, it's, it's fine. But to me, if I'm unhappy that there's no deed, it just kind of signals to me that I need something a little more and there's not a lot happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this one that I read is probably just more of, like, an urban fantasy series rather than, like, an urban fantasy romance 
sort of situation. And like maybe they will get there. And so it is considered overall. But I no, I want payoff in my first book and I want it to get more increasing throughout the books is what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even yeah. like I want her to initially hook up with her not end game guy and then get with her end game guy. And what I do not want is for you to set up Sebastian as the not okay. end game guy when he clearly should be. <laughs> Like, you know what we just have to do? I mean, we just have to um, get Colleen Gleason on the fucking horn <laughs> and just get her on the show and be like, listen, we understand, but where's the spinoff? Okay, sure. Yeah. We get it. Her her main guy was, oh my God, I, Max. I can't, Max. Say, <laughs> can't even remember his name. Literally, Mark. Um, you know, Mark, you know Mark's her guy. But what about Sebastian? What, where's his redemption, his series? Yeah. yeah. So, like he, this but is I, what we want. <laughs> I will say that um, what's the book that I think, it, you know, if there is this, if we have found the one person listening who in, is somehow knows exactly what we're talking about, um, is like, yeah, I wish Sebastian from the Gardella series would have had his own spinoff. <laughs> this is very um, niche This is you. <laughs> You're in the right place. <laughs> then um, I have to say that, you know, the Reluctant Royal series by Alyssa Cole, the third book in that, which is called oh. a, a, well, is it a, a Prince on Paper? What's it called? It's a third, it was with Johan. It's the third one. I, I do remember you talking about Johan and how he's like modern day Sebastian. A prince on paper. I I think he's Johan scratched a Sebastian itch for me. He's so charming and um kind of like in touch with his femininity, which I really dig. And he's yeah. special. And so I read that book and I devoured it. So if you're out there and you love Sebastian, Rachel. <laughs> gotta give it a read got you <laughs> <laughs> wonderful wonderful well should we start shall we yeah <laughs> let's get down to it da, 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 da. all right hello so should we introduce ourselves yes so i'm jesse and i'm rachel and welcome to a real bodice, bodice ripper <laughs> Oh, wait, was that right? (laughs) It was like I started going, but then I didn't hear you going. So then I stopped and then you, I don't know if it went or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're just mouthing the words at me because you don't want to say things in unison, but I really love saying things in unison. (laughs) You really do. And I love complimenting you. Like, you know, when you were in choir (laughs) in like the seventh theory. You had a soprano and an alto. I, yes. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to alto your soprano. Teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yes. So, yes, a real bodice stripper, a podcast that explores the delicious, guilty, and sometimes problematic pleasure that is found in romance novels. Yay! Yay! Welcome, welcome to our little jaunt. Today we're doing something a little new. A little different, mixing little, it up. We're changing it up. We're living in the moment. We're <laughs> listening to our nervous systems. Our, <laughs> is that the word? Sorry. <laughs> listening to our nervous systems. <laughs> What's, we're listening to our bodies. We're listening to oh. our we're listening to our needs because yes. we because have a lot going on in our life. 
We do, and we really love doing this, but we find that it can be hard to always be at the same pace of reading things, um, or sometimes if one of us completely disengages with the book and finds it a challenge to get through, um, like Mm -hmm. we'll get in our heads about it and we'll kind of get hung up on that when we're like, you know what, there are two of us and we can make this work even if just one of us has read a book. And that means we can do so many, we just opened up heaps more books that we can talk about. Heaps. Right. So heaps. I love that. Yes. Um, I feel like it's, 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 it's going to be nice because one of us can be the listener. Yeah. And one of us can be the reader. And so today, dear audience, I'm on a journey with you. I am also, I'm also hearing about this book for the first time and we're going to see how captivating and sizzling and you know, amazing (laughs) storyteller you are, Rachel, no pressure. Go ahead. Oh, no pressure at all. So the book that we have picked up, it is called Potent Pleasures by Eloisa James. So we're going to start out with Jesse giving us a description of what is in store. Okay. This is good because then I I have I've not even read this description. This is this is how organic this is. Um Let's see. Eloisa James breathes new life into one of the most popular fiction genres with her highly original debut novel, Potent Pleasures, a charming, vividly peopled Regency romance with an uncanny wit and an eye for the whimsical she unravels a complex and often hilarious chain of events inadvertently set into motion by a young woman's first taste of forbidden pleasure. Ooh, I love that. Add that mm-hmm. to the trouble list. Yes. About to make her debut in London society, Charlotte Cal- Calverstall, beneath the lavish gowns and manners of a well-brought-up young lady, yearns for a taste of freedom. Pushing propriety aside, one evening she sneaks out with a friend to attend a masked ball. This is so exciting. We do love a good masquerade. (laughs) And there, guess what? She meets a devastatingly handsome stranger who relieves her, not against her wishes. Well, that's good. Of her virtue. (laughs) (laughs) Then vanishes. P.S. Not rape is basically what that's saying there. It was consensual. (laughs) Relieves her of her virtue. Thank you. That's relieving. Um, Years later, when they meet again, the rogue does not remember Charlotte, but she certainly remembers him. She has since learned not only his identity, but also a titillating piece of gossip about him that is sure to set society abuzz. Oh, so she has, she has her piece. Um, Mm -hmm. The intricate web that a now wiser Charlotte weaves to exact her due ensures justice for some and great merriment for all. Taking the Regency historical to fresh new places with artful smoothness and irresponsible. Wait, sorry. (laughs) So irresponsible. Take that irresponsible humor home. (laughs) Quite irresponsible. Irrepressible humor. Eloisa James delivers a winsome tale of first love and life's unexpected surprises. Okay, already I'm curious. I have questions, so let's get right into it. And I will say, having read the piece of literature that we are about to discuss, I 
want to know who wrote this as the kind of back of the cover piece to really capture you and get you interested because there's a lot here that I'm like, no, like <laughs> definitely wasn't the storyline <laughs> or um, there's, oh, my favorite line is, oh, I think it's up here at the top, The how it says she unravels a complex and often hilarious chain of events. And maybe I'm just jaded and all that, but there's a lot about this that I didn't necessarily sound find hilarious and I was actually really frustrated especially with like the hero with the love interest like he had this energy to him that he would be so much better as a villain and I personally did not find him redeemable as a person so we got some meat to discuss (laughs) I hate an irredeemable villain yeah um yeah yeah yeah, and maybe maybe you guys will disagree. Maybe you'll uh, find him redeemable. But there's just there was some stuff about him that I'm like, mm, this this isn't this isn't my asshole with a heart of gold. This is a fucking asshole, unapologetically. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'm curious to hear more. I really am curious to hear more because initially, upon reading this, I'll tell you my first question is, like, I don't know. It almost like maybe I need to reread this a second time, but like, it almost sounds like a handsome stranger who relieves her of her virtue then vanishes. Is that, is that the do? Like the fact that he did that to her and then like, didn't just took off into the night. Is that what she's pissed about? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that it says like getting her due, it makes it sound like Charlotte's kind of on a, a sort of revenge thing or is like, Oh, he'll like if he's gonna do that to me, he'll have me, which totally isn't the case. Um, so we'll explore that a little bit. That's why I think it's a little bit misleading this description. I think I would have worded it very differently um, than they did because, like, even when she figured out who he was, there wasn't any part of her that's like, "Well, now I need him to marry me," this, and this has to happen. It was actually a lot through his insistence that they got married. She was actually trying to avoid getting married altogether. So fun, fun things ahead. Um, but let me tell you about the author, Eloise yeah. James. In Eloise's words, own words from her website, I'm a writer, a professor, a mother, and a wife. My husband, Alessandro, is Italian, born in Florence. We spend the lazy summer months with his mother and sister in Italy. It always strikes me as a huge irony that as a romance writer, I find myself married to a knight, a cavalier, as you say in Italian. And I just thought that was a very interesting intro. Um, She is incredibly proud of the fact that she's married to a knight. I've found it mentioned in multiple articles (laughs) and on her page. Um, But Wait, like legitimately a knight or something? Yeah, like he's from Italy and apparently within like his lineage makes him a cavalier which is an italian form of a knight so magic i know kind of cool i wouldn't mind randomly being married to a knight but she it gets brought up a lot of places so (laughs) it's important to the origin story yeah i'm looking at her i'm looking at her um i'm looking at her site right now and then this is what i kind of put together as a general 
description, Eloisa James is the pen name of Mary Bly, a tenured Shakespeare professor at Fordham University. As Eloisa James, she creates rich historical romances that draw on her own life experiences. As Mary Bly, she teaches Shakespeare, and last year she published her first piece of contemporary fiction called Lizzie and Dante. You can see her enthusiasm for her work everywhere from her website, where she has created resources for her readers to dive further into the books that she's written, all the way to her the videos that she pub publishes on YouTube to connect with her readers. You can wow. find her online at eloisajames.com, on Facebook at Eloisa James, and then on Instagram and TikTok at Eloisa James Books. And it doesn't look like she has a Twitter um, could not find that on her page or on Twitter. So she's she's my kind of gal. Like, <laughs> I don't understand Twitter. I wish I understood it. I even ha I have a difficult time responding to people's comments because I'll accidentally like retweet it instead. And oh, it's just a mess. It's a mess. Oh, I don't no, understand you're it. The, you're the worst tweeter then. I'm like you the worst. a response. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I don't mean to. It's just very confusing to me. <laughs> there's hey, certain yeah. things that I've gotten a hang of Twitter is not one of them there's only so many buttons on there but it's okay it's okay we can't be it's good okay. at everything and you're good at many things yes yes so um we I have ratings for this because as our dear listeners know we do love judging the things that we read and enjoy so we have a couple of areas in which we look at this. All of them are out of five, um, one being low, five being high. And so we start with the spice rating. And I gave this a sizzling, spicy, hot two. Oh, I gave it a two. two. <laughs> so I will say, because of the whole... The thing that kind of kicks off the action for this is this experience that she has at the masquerade of losing her virginity to a masked stranger. Um, and so you do get like sex rather early in the book, but it is very rushed and it is does not sound comfortable. And uh, part of you wonders like, like, th th she makes it very clear that it's not that she didn't enjoy it. Like, there was pain to it, but she also, even though there was the pain aspect of it, she responded to it and was into it. Um, but even so, there was, like, no warm-up to it. Like, he literally took her behind a bush, kissed her, laid her down on the ground, and plowed into her. Um, so it, it's not <laughs> – it wasn't a very spicy experience. There wasn't anticipation built up. It was all just very quick and out the gate. And then it's kind of you hop ahead in time to then what becomes their like actual real life meeting of each other and building up that tension. And I yeah. think from like a writing perspective, again, I haven't read this book, so I'm this is interesting. This is really interesting experience to respond to you in without having any knowledge. One, I think like they were probably afraid of getting caught. So he was like, we have to get this done with. Mm -hmm. Also, Regency era, like, does female pleasure matter? You know, um, it's true. It's true. <laughs> does female pleasure matter? This is the ideal. This is like the, you know, the sexual cycle is like we mate when, and it's ended when I ejaculate. Um, so mm -hmm. that's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not right. 
And I'm starting yes. to understand why Charlotte was pissed. She wanted to, <laughs> she wanted to come. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it wasn't even necessarily that she did like, I don't know, like if she orgasmed, it was very slight and also overshadowed by the pain of the first time and being a little bit flustered by the situation. And she literally says thank you to him and then runs away. And yeah, she's a little overwhelmed. It's a little bit interesting. And um, yeah, I will say like later on, there becomes a big issue around the fact that she does enjoy sex too much, but we'll get to that when it comes. So I will, like, I gave it a two. It has some sex early on. It does have um, a couple of sex scenes later on. I think one of the things that made it less spicy for me is how much I disliked this hero. So mm-hmm. um, there was a lot, even in the writing of the sex scenes, that did not vibe well with me and with this guy's kind of his mannerisms and the way he was coming across. So gave it a two for the trope rating. Um, as we all know, what is a trope? Tell me about tropes, Jesse. A uh, trope is a literary device used to further along the plot. I feel like a broken record, which is every time <laughs> we got to, we got to tell people to. what tropes are. <laughs> they, they, they can be cliches, kind of stereotypical depictions of, events or characters you know like for example this one I already know it's uh one of them is going to be um first love they mentioned it the yes because obviously what we just set up with her meeting him for two seconds in a garden be deflowered for him that is first love material that is not love (laughs) what (laughs) that's why she wanted him to stick around she's here you son of a bitch yes (laughs) So uh, we did have a good number of tropes in this. We had our reformed rake, uh, the very experienced man uh, with his virgin lover, a second chance at love, uh, masquerade, uh, which I pretty much consider a trope. I feel like that's often put there as a reason to like have mistaken identity and intrigue. It's, um, as, much, it's as much of a trope as one bed in the inn. Yes. Yes. Oh, no. We must sleep in this bed together. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't know if we've had that. Like, that's a very popular trope. We need to read something with it. I don't know that we've reviewed anything with that. Uh, The logistical nightmares of keeping and running an inn uh, is all the better for our characters. Yes, yes. Um, So other ones, uh, betrayal of the beloved. Um, There was, like, a huge kind of betrayal that happened. And that's why I said first love, kind of, because <laughs> I couldn't say that they really loved each other, um, but he definitely left an impression on her. Um, we even had identical twins in this, um, and then also some single parenthood going on. And of course, as often happens in many, many a romance novel, miscommunication is what truly guides forward the plot. <laughs> Um, so I gave it a 3.5 of trope rating. There were a lot of tropes that sometimes can be driving factors that were just present in the world, uh, like the identical twins, like the single parent. Um, sometimes those are a little bit, have a little bit more force on things, but it's just like they were there and they were present. Um, and 
I would say like it was the most refreshing uh, use of tropes, but there was never any point where the tropes felt forced as if they were just there to make things happen and you didn't know why. So mm, Good. Middle of the road, 3.5. And as an overall rating, I gave this a two. Hey, <laughs> okay, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that you hate this guy. I think it does. I think a huge part of it is how much I hate the hero. Um, yes. And so we'll get into that. I will say on Goodreads, it has a 3.62, which honestly I think is a little bit low on Goodreads. Um, I think that oftentimes you are looking at ratings more in the 4.0s. So I do think that's really reflective of some things like the fact that this was a first, um, first published work and how while Eloisa creates some really amazing stories with great details, there's just, um, from what I've read, her growth from here is just amazing. And she has a lot of amazing books to read. And this one shouldn't be used as a barometer of whether or not you want to read her. um, Because overall, like she ranks much higher on all her other books. And I think it's just, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. And this is where she started. And it was a good start. uh, But she has better in her later works, I believe. So you're like, I'm just hoping. (laughs) <laughs> I'm hoping it's what I read. It's what I am led to believe. So, <laughs> okay. so this book, let us, let us set the scene. It's 1798 Regency England. We're thinking empire waste. We're thinking Napoleon. We're thinking Bridgerton. That is the world that we are in. And our main character Charlotte kind of starts out things by going to a ball and not just not a ball that she's allowed at even she sneaks out to this ball with her friend they're not supposed to be there and it is a Cyprian's ball and none of us would really know this at first hearing it but a Cyprian's ball is a whore's ball um so it's all the sex workers there inviting their rich clients, entertaining. Um, But some, yeah, so this puts things in a little bit of a different context as to um, why things went the way they did. Charlotte Charlotte snuck in. It was masquerade, so she was able to sneak in with her friend. And so she's masked. She's in costume, and so her hair is powdered, like, white. Um, She usually has dark black hair, but because of all the powder on it, it really obscured kind of what color hair she has. And she has the mask on and the domino, which is like, if you ever see pictures of old timey masquerades where there's that kind of jaunty hat with the mask and like the little half cape over hood thing, that's what a domino is. The things I learn. (laughs) And what I will say is because of uh, Eloisa James, like being a Shakespearean professor, being someone that's like very in love with history, there are a lot of fun historical details dropped into this everywhere. You can learn about the period in ways that you wouldn't in a normal historical romance um, because she's like, I have these truths, like this real knowledge to drop and I'm going to do that. Um, So that's very present in it. So she goes to this ball, the Cyprian's ball for 
sex workers, and she accidentally has some alcohol. Oops. And then she sees this dark stranger across the way who he just, they make eye contact behind their masks, and he just comes straight across the room, takes her to the garden, yes, kisses her, takes her down on the ground, and just plows into her, realizes, oh no, this whore that I'm sleeping with is a virgin. How is this whore a virgin? It's a Cyprian's fault, so he kind of assumes, right, that she's... Yes. Okay. So he assumes that she is a sex worker. Yeah. And he even, like, when he notices that she's a virgin, his thought is like, well, how interesting. Why would she just come and give her virginity away in this manner? Why didn't she sell it off for more? And then she thanks him and runs away. And he's like, I I need to pay you. (laughs) It's giving me flame and flower. Um, It's giving me, like, that big misunderstanding. So, okay, he was of the mind that, yeah, okay, right. She was kind of there to, I guess, have sex with him as part of, like, as part of what happens at the ball. So that really puts some things into a different context. And this obviously doesn't show him as an asshole yet. Like, yeah, no, this is just a a natural misunderstanding because I'm guessing then she didn't realize she was at a Cyprian's ball. She thought she was just like a ball. Yeah. She thought she was at a fun masquerade party with no idea of what the larger context is to this event. (laughs) Wow. Okay. She runs away. Yeah, and she runs away. She's, like, a little bit kind of overwhelmed by it. And she, of course, Regency era. So she doesn't really know about sex and even what just happened to her. She doesn't really understand it. But she, because of now, sorry, not everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Now we understand. (laughs) Um, But, like, like the blood on her and then like she really goes into this shame spiral of like oh this is what being ruined is i have been ruined <laughs> so there's a little bit of her coming to like oh no i have been ruined now like she talks with her mom about it who of course does not handle it gracefully and is trying to be like oh well like this isn't this isn't good but like it'll be fine like People have had sex before they've gotten married. It's fine. Like, don't worry about that. Um, And there's even a part of her mom that's, like, troubleshooting, being like, okay, how can we find who this person was? Luckily, we have Charlotte's going to be coming out to the ton. So perhaps, like, we'll be able to find the person there. Charlotte, in her brain, actually thinks that it wasn't a well-off gentleman that did this with her. She thinks that she just had sex with a footman. Um, and so she's like, I am truly ruined, <laughs> which, yeah, it, yeah. And he's not really aware that like, no one technically knows this happened. It was yeah. behind a bush. But, you know, I mean, but her maiden head was broken. So as we all know, virginity, so well, important. Yeah. Virginity is <laughs> real. It's not a made up concept and everybody has one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no, but uh, but I mean, this is Regency era, so this is very uh, according to them common knowledge. So yeah, she's freaking out, probably rightfully so, c- considering the year. <laughs> yes, yeah, it makes her response makes sense. Um, then his response even kind of makes sense. What doesn't make sense in his response is because of the fact that she was like 
coated in this powder as part of this disguise, he's like, she's so pale that she has to be a redhead, uh, which obviously she has black hair. And so in his brain, he cements this idea, like, because to him, this ended up being like a magical, amazing sexual experience. Not enough to mean that like he wanted to change his philandering ways, but there was a big part of him that took this experience with the garden girl, as he starts to call her, and taking her, it was the first time he'd ever taken someone's virginity. And he really put it on this pedestal of like, when I find a wife, I need her to be this beautiful virginal woman that compares to the garden girl No, that I had. <laughs> Realistic and healthy, Alexander. Super, super healthy. Um, and so... Like, a lot happens. She does come out, but then she doesn't have a great evening. She kind of goes to bed early. He and his twin brother actually end up coming to her party that night, but they come in after she's already kind of turned in. And part of it was her getting overwhelmed with the idea that, like, I'm putting on a farce right now because I'm ruined. (laughs) And, like, no one will want to marry me because I'm ruined. So... She is already turned in. Him and his twin brother show up and like the mom sees them and she recognizes she's like, oh, they're looking for her. They're like, she puts one and one together through a big stretch to be like, oh, that has to be him. This has to be the person that she slept with, at least one of them. And they're looking for her. Um, But then because they're too rascally, these these no good uh, rich men that are going to be one of them's going to be an earl one day are just so outrageous that their father is like one of you is going to India one of you is going to the continent you need to shape up. Um, <laughs> so they go away and we hop ahead in time to like three years later, and at this point now Charlotte has been out for a while. For many years. And a lot of times during this era, that's it's very much all about um, you want to get married kind of in your first and second season out there. If you're out there for three or four seasons, you are now old maid material. You're spinster, basically. And she's ruined. Ruined spinster. So clearly there is no future for her that holds companionship or love. And... A lot of this is internal. Like she doesn't necessarily share this aloud to her parents. And her parents actually did this really supportive thing where they arranged it because they just had such big holdings and everything. And they had an older son that was going to be able to kind of step in to that and have the house in London, all that. And um, their other daughter had been married off happily and is well taken care of. And they're like, hey, we have like this extra um, kind of manor house in Wales or something. Um, let's give that to Charlotte so that even if Charlotte doesn't get married, at least she'll have this property and she can learn to manage it and have an income. So she gets set up by her parents. They're not just like, oh, spinster, the worst. They set her up and she doesn't even necessarily need to find a husband anymore, which for her is a relief because just looking for a husband makes her feel like a horrible, deceptive human being because she is ruined and cannot. I'm I'm 35 (laughs) and I don't have a husband. I would love to be set up. 
<laughs> if anyone would like to give me a manor house to manage with lands and um, my my workers of the lands, that I'll, I, ma- I'll make I'll make do somehow. Somehow, <laughs> yes. So really good situation for her. Um, but another thing that kind of happens is now Alexander who is our love interest, kind of comes back because his father has died. He is taking over the earldom or whatever, and he has returned. He was married in the time he was gone. He not only got divorced, but then it was also, um, he got it annulled, which we'll get into. Um, So he also returns with a child, um, like his little daughter Pippa and um so he's here and he's like okay I need to take over for this thing I have to figure out what to do with this child because as it turns out although she is like um like three years old two or three years old um he actually wasn't around for Pippa being born because of Yes, because of his trauma <laughs> that uh, we'll, yeah, okay, uh, we'll talk okay, about wow. Yeah, you're really burying the lead here. <laughs> yeah, so basically, Alex blames everything terrible that has happened in his life on his ex-wife who was unfaithful. So he had gone to Italy, where his father sent him, where he met this woman and he married her because her face reminded him of the garden girl who was Charlotte. Um, And he's like, oh, she is beautiful. And so she will therefore be virginal and pure and chaste, just like my little prostitute in training was. Um, This is his thinking. (laughs) No. and so, of course, she's like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm super, super chaste, super yes. And they got married, but oh, no, she wasn't a virgin. And not only was she not a virgin, but she's also like, I'm not stopping sleeping with people. I'm. He caught her sleeping with the footman. Oh. And then there came a point where she's like, I want to marry this priest. There was a lot going on there. I wonder, I, I, want, I want her spinoff. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <I know>. And <laughs> so they ended up, like, he just wanted to be separated from her. Like, what you'll find out is, but despite the fact that he was even under the idea that his perfect garden girl was a working girl, uh, despite that, like the idea of a woman that he's connected to actually being someone that has had sex with other people and will have sex with other people is the most disgusting thing that could ever happen to him. It's like, spoiler alert, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there a saying about how like the things that we truly hate in others are those like the flaws that we ourselves have or something? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because I'm imagining like maybe in the future he's gonna fall in love with our garden girl again, and but she has a history, and it's like, well, fucking no, duh, it's you. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you're the yes. you're the yeah. problem. 
So as we all know, like divorce at this time wasn't a super easy thing. Um, and they actually ended up having to get like an annulment. And the only way they could get this being in like super Catholic Italy was they told the church that he was impotent. Yeah, they have to get a divorce because he just, he can't bear children. And goodness, we can't have a woman tied to someone like this. And he was just like, fine, whatever. Baby. Well, they hadn't yet. They hadn't yet. Um, And he's like, whatever. As long as I'm rid of you, then fine. But apparently on the night that it like was all officially agreed to, they are like, he's like, oh, I truly hate you. And she's like, eh, I don't really like you. But they have sex. <laughs> you know? One, for the, one more for the road. <laughs> one more for the road. Which, I mean, I guess is a thing that happens sometimes. In, no, break, like, breakup sex is real. It's a real thing. So they had their Regency era version of breakup sex. <laughs> and it just so happens that he was able to impregnate her during that time. That's that your, one night. That's that's like karma because he went to the church and was like, "I'm impotent." Yes, and then the universe or whatever was like, "Oh, really?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so they still went their separate ways. She actually didn't tell him that she was pregnant. She kind of took up with her guy that was somehow involved in the church. Like he wasn't a priest, priest because obviously they can't get married. But he was some sort of like man of God that could get married. Um, And so she was with him, but she had his child, only he didn't find this out, that she had had this daughter, until she was dying, the mother was dying of scarlet fever. So basically, she's like, come see me, and he comes, and she's like, surprise, we have a child, and I'm about to die, so you need to take care of her now. (laughs) Yeah. Ready to spice things up in the bedroom? Treat yourself to a pair of exceptional leather restraints and collars from Leather Etc. Whether you've been getting kinky for years or are just looking for something fun to bring into your relationship, Leather Etc. has what you're looking for. Don't let low-quality gear ruin the mood. Chafing, sharp edges, and broken hardware are distractions that you don't want in the bedroom. Nope. A high-quality set of gear lets you get lost in the moment. You can struggle all you want in their restraints. They use high-quality hardware that's virtually unbreakable. (laughs) (laughs) When you bring something into the bedroom, it can be heartbreaking when it breaks. It really can. (laughs) You want something that can become a part of your intimacy for years to come. When properly cared for, Leather Etc.'s gear will last you a lifetime. Much of their gear features no metal on the wearer's skin, and this means it won't cause discomfort and is better for subs with nickel allergies. Like you. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) 95% of restraints and collars made by Leather Etc. are handmade in San Francisco by a staff with over 200 years. That's a lot of years. (laughs) uh, Combined experience. They're like fairies. I know. (laughs) They've been doing this a long time. They start with the highest quality leather hide and stitch it together by hand using techniques learned from over 35 years of being in the business. That's why their gear is the highest quality you'll find anywhere. Yes. So what are you waiting for? Visit leatheretc.com today and grab a pair of handcuffs or maybe a collar from Leather Etc. and see the difference quality gear can make. 
I already grabbed a Sweet Day color that I absolutely adore, and they also have a great selection of sensory toys that I started to explore. So awesome! Go check it out, and uh, don't forget to use our code Bodice Ripper at checkout for ten percent off on top of free shipping on orders over fifty dollars. That's code B O D I C E R I P P E R. Did I spell that right? Yeah, <laughs> for ten percent off as well as free shipping. For orders over $50, okay? Leather, etc. Made with love, for love, since 1985. Just like you. I'm a year older. <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. I know how old you old. are. I'm just close, very close. Sorry for dating you. <laughs> Go buy some toys. Go buy them now. Okay, so um, basically Scarlet Fever, Yoba Baby... Here she is. Okay, that's where we were. Okay, sorry. Yes. So, yeah, he has a baby. He's stepping up. He's taking care of her as a father should. And But Pippa, because of the way that when her mom was, like, dying of scarlet fever, she ended up, like, with a bunch of nannies and, like, really separated from her mother. She is very um, traumatized and doesn't like women at all. Uh but it has made one of the big goals for Alex Ander, Alexander, now that he has this daughter, is like, I need a wife to help me with this situation because she doesn't like nannies. So the only thing that we'll do is that I need a wife. This is what I need. <laughs> you know, um, you know when you really need a wife? Yep. The <laughs> <laughs> wife market. Good motivations. <laughs> Um, so that was like a little kind of a backstory on what his damage is and how, because of that experience, he is like super sex negative, um, not towards men, but towards women that Mm -hmm. have been with other men. Um, and he obviously deserves the most chaste wife who is only honoring him and only with him and. Yes, uh, says the guy who himself proclaims to have slept with thousands of women. Uh, (laughs) And I feel like that doesn't always bother me in books. Like, I I guess it always bothers me a little bit because I'm super like, you can't have that opinion of the women can't do it while you yourself have done it a ton. And I feel like a lot of times in romance novels, the way that they get around that is they don't have him be judgmental about a last not being like, like they don't, they don't, does that make sense? <laughs> uh, so what pisses you off is when women in, in general are held to different standards of like chasteness than men. And, but like, so in the books, how they get around it is that they make society judgmental, but the man himself is like this gem where he's like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like it would be one thing to be like to not have him forcefully outspoken about how horrible he finds women that have had sex before to be like you'll read ones where he's just like, he's like thankful. He's like, Oh, and she's virgin. I'm so excited about this, but you don't get an aspect of like, well, if she weren't a virgin, I'd throw that whore out on the street. And I'm saying this, these are the same words that get used. Like he's, yeah, he's 
hard for me. Um, uh, okay, so he's very judgmental. He's very yes. judgmental of anyone with any sexual history because I'm getting a real big like whore virgin dynamic here, right? Yes. Like you're either you're either a chaste, pure, and good virgin, or you're you're used goods. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you know, um, he's like, I'm no longer, you know, engaging with that. Um, because I'm a grown man and a father and I need a wife. Yes. Oh, that's so frustrating. Fuck you, Alexander. (laughs) Fuck you, Alexander. (laughs) So anyway, he comes back to town and he meets Charlotte. Hello. He is instantly taken by her beauty. Like she at this point is, even though she's been out on the market, the fact that she doesn't want to get married has almost kind of made her seem sexier to the men. And because she's like let go of that desire to like really kind of be a chaste virgin. She's like, she flirts with all the boys. She has like fun being the, um, an object of their attention. But anytime they try to take it further and like, she's been proposed to multiple times. She's just like, no, no. And part of that is she's like, is she has this deep seated shame where she doesn't, she feels ruined and not good enough to be in a relationship with people. Um, mm-hmm. But then he comes yeah. and he will not take no for an answer. He is so taken with her. And she even says to him, she's like, Oh, we've met before. Don't you remember me? And he's like, oh, no, we haven't met. I, I would remember you if we had met, you must have met my twin Patrick. And she's like, no, no, it was you. Like, I met you. And he's like, no. No, you haven't. You're wrong. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, yeah. The, the bush. <laughs> remember the bush. Remember the, bush. the garden. Um, but of course. Honestly, Alexander, I, it was under two minutes. So I don't know. <laughs> Why I even remember you, I don't even know. It wasn't that good. Seriously. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she, she brings it up and she keeps kind of keeps bringing it up a few times throughout things where she's like, are you sure you don't remember me? And he's always like, no, I've never met you. You're talking about my brother. And of course, like she, she doesn't push much after that because obviously there's a lot of shame around what happened. Um, and like, how does one talk to a man about sex? How is that done? Um, So she kind of just lets it go each time and just puts up with the fact that he's just like, oh, you're silly, you're ridiculous, you're wrong, I'm right. Um, So there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. Let me tell you, this thing had so many secondary characters, some that would be introduced for a split moment just to observe something from the outside and then be never addressed again. (laughs) Um, and I think that was part of what really made this feel like a first go at a book, um, because the point of view would jump between people, like sometimes multiple points of view would be on one page and it wasn't like divided by like, you know, we're used to getting from the girl's point of view for a chapter, for the man's point of view for a chapter. Um, this one is like, here, Charlotte's having a thing. And then suddenly we're seeing from her mother's point of view. But then the footman has a point of view with some opinions. And it was very weird. It was very, it was different, 
but it's also jostling. And I do think it, it was a challenge to the storytelling at times. It was a little, um, it, it's almost like you were like this little ball bouncing around the room, getting everyone's idea and opinion and too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. I was Lady Whistledown. I was hanging out at the side and listening to everyone's conversation, basically. <laughs> I mean, for some, that is exactly where they want to be because people are nosy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's too much info, you know? Yes. So there's a lot of different side stories that go on. She has a good friend named Sophie. She also then kind of really is taken by this young girl named Chloe, um, who is the daughter of a, um, instead of kind of being born into wealth, a daughter of a merchant that has done well is now kind of like nouveau rich. And um, there were some nice aspects of this. It like kind of like really showed Charlotte as this person who wasn't stuck necessarily in the mindset of like being the ton that won't let anyone else in. She was very like kind towards anyone she met, but it was like, I don't need all these people. And like, you just took a whole three pages to talk about Chloe and this weird flirtation she's having with a guy that was going after Charlotte, but now has decided he doesn't want to go after Charlotte, uh, but now wants her. Like, it, it was just a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Okay. It was a lot going on. What there could have been some editing is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yes. Okay. And and I even saw this when kind of looking at other people's opinions because I'm like, maybe I'm being weird about this. Maybe it's just a different style of writing. Um, but I did kind of see other people mention as well that it really felt not only like a first work, but it almost felt like a first work that hadn't been completely edited. Um yeah. like okay. like it was really an earlier draft rather than a finished version. And I can totally see that. I can see where if there were some editing done, it would have tied it up a lot tighter and it would have gone much quicker because you wouldn't have had all this extraneous stuff. And while some of the things were really fun and like neat elements that brought in historical aspects, um, a lot of times it was just creating action that had no purpose. Mm -hmm. so, okay. Totally. I feel you. Too much. Yes. So there is a, a lot of that where it's like kind of him courting her. Um, and there's the big secrets that she knows about him. It isn't a secret that she knows about him. What it is, it's the big piece of gossip that he's impotent that's going around. So everyone's like, oh, like she can't marry him. He's impotent. Um, so like she didn't know this. It was just what everyone thought because of what there is. He himself who knows he's like, I'm not impotent. Um, but he can't like straight out just say that to the ton. And then people are really confused. They're like, why does he have a child if he's impotent? We're so confused. It's almost like that's a complete lie. Almost. Uh, yeah, almost like that. So there's like an element of her having to convince her parents like, okay, like I do want to marry this person. And it takes a while for her to even want to marry him. When he comes to her and proposes to her, um, first of all, she's like, are you sure you don't remember me? And he's like, I don't remember you. You met Patrick. And so she lets that go. And then she asks him, do you love me? At which point he like completely non-answers her 
and turns it into this whole thing, this diatribe on like, love is something that is earned over time and we can't possibly have known each other long enough to be in that state, don't you think? Uh, Meanwhile, in his brain, he's like, I'm never falling in love ever. I'm never going to love because I tried to love and that woman ended up sleeping with other men. Um, But it felt so gaslighty because she asked him a direct question of like, do you love me? And he turned it around in this whole, like, if you expect love, you're just being really unrealistic. And it just felt icky. It felt gross. And I think this is one of the things that really made me feel like Alex is a narcissist. He is a narcissist. And, and like, not in the kind that won't cause you damage. <laughs> Uh-oh. We have a narcissist alert in this narcissist book. Narcissist alert. Narcissist. Well, okay, because he's, okay, If basically what he's saying, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, you've read this book, is he's like, let's be honest. You're a wife to me. You serve a purpose and you fit a role that matches the role I think I have, not who I am or what I want. Yeah. So this is like basically like Regency era romances that aren't love based are, are just like a breeding ground for narcissism because they're all trying to meet these ideals of what Mm -hmm. they think they should be like, because they're like, Oh, we're good people. Like, yeah. And then on the other end of it, like, Aside from the fact that it's like, oh, I need a mother for my child. He's like, but I really want to fuck you. Like, and the only reason I can do that with my opinions on sex, my shame-based opinions on sex, is if I'm married to you. So, like, love isn't important. But He's like, love is not important. What is important is that we set all these things in motion so that I can own you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it just feels (laughs) But she eventually, she says yes to him and they get married. Yeah, she says yes. Like, like in the same page as him saying, her saying like, do you love me? And he's like, love isn't a real thing. She's like, okay, I'll marry you. (laughs) She's still on her revenge kick. Is she kind of like, is she playing the long game? And she isn't motivated by revenge. I do think that there's a part of her that sees redemption in this. She's like, I am ruined for all other men because of the fact that I had sex with him. She's also incredibly overwhelmed by just the sexiness of this man. Like when he's around, she can't think straight. She, she goes in with like boundaries and opinions. And then by the end of being with him, she's like, what boundaries? No, those don't exist. (laughs) No, I, I, what? Say no to getting married? Why would I ever say that? Like she is just incredibly changed by the fact that he is the one that took her virginity and the fact that he's just so darn attractive that how could anyone possibly think straight around him? I mean, it's, it's, it's very much touching on like the almost faded mates, almost like primal aspect of like your first, you know, it's got a different yeah. relationship, which is totally not true. Um, and yeah, I mean, who could, who could resist? Yeah. Sex? Who can, who can resist that draw? And I think a lot of times like with faded mates, if there isn't like an instant kind of love that falls into place, there's at least this like interesting enemies to lovers situation that takes it 
that takes place, which is like kind of juicy and enjoyable to read. But there's something very different about a faded mates where it's just like, he's like, no, there's no love here, but I do really just want to fuck you a lot and bind you to me forever. It's just not as pleasing, not as pleasing. (laughs) It's, it's also like, I get it. Like the game is good. You're probably like, she's probably like, damn, like he's so attractive, but like, Mm -hmm. then he opens his mouth. (laughs) He opens his mouth and because we do have so many times where we're going into his perspective, like when he's kind of courting her, anytime he sees her with other men, like he gets really like angry in his language and like hateful towards the men that she's speaking to. And it's just like, this guy has rage problems and I don't like it. (laughs) He already thinks he owns her he's like hey you actually already belong to me because i like you i mean he's like about five seconds away it sounds like from scenting her (laughs) yeah (laughs) just he's probably already peed on her like this is like and she's like this is a good idea Oh no. <laughs> Charlotte, yeah. honey, run. Um, you're not but, ruined. I mean, of course, the things we wish we could shake and say and ah! like, Yes, to our heroines, but instead she's like Yes, let's get married. They get married. They finally sleep together. And it is just a glorious, amazing sexual experience that that the best sexual experience that anyone could ever have. Um, That being said, like that's definitely how they're feeling, but it wasn't my favorite written sex scene, you know, like it wasn't (laughs) gloriously sexy for me. Rachel's in the closet. Like I, I just, sorry, time, time out. I get it. Y'all think this is really good, but a little on the tame side. A little on the tame side. Like, do, right, should we talk. get a little bit of oral in here? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, yes. So they have sex and like in her kind of post-sexy time haze, she's like, oh, that was so, that was so much better than last time or something like that. The bar and, is hell, Charlotte. <laughs> and suddenly a cold rage creeps in to Alex because she isn't a virgin and it's happened to him again. He has bedded a whore. And the things that he says to her, like, I, oh my goodness. So you wrote these down or you highlighted this. I highlighted some of these things. So yeah, what she said was that it wasn't at all like the other time, no pain. And she's of course referencing the time that he took her in the garden and caused her lots of pain. Um, so like some things he said, by God, he had a whore of his own. His stomach heaved again and he made it to the chamber pot just in time, regurgitating all of the wedding supper he and Charlotte had lovingly shared. Like, he vomited because he was so disgusted by her. His mind was black, burning with rage, his body twisted with self-loathing. And she's like, dude, like, what? Honey, are you okay? What's going on? And he like says aloud to her, like, the matter is that I only just found out that I married yet another whore and I'm finding it a difficult sop to swallow. Um, And like another point he says to her, because I already married one slut, 
so I'm pretty familiar with the breed. Um, sure. And, what? Yeah. Alexander. Like he, and he says to her, like, you should be able to market your wares pretty well in London. Like he's just like, he's constantly calling her a whore and a slut. And it's so verbally abusive. It was hard to read. And I'm, for me, there was no coming back after that. Like there was no oh. way he could ever redeem himself from these horrible things that he said. And so they were supposed to be going to, they were going to go to the continent to Italy or something for their honeymoon. But instead, so he like throws a glass jar against the wall, shattering it everywhere. And he like roars to the servants and he's like, we're leaving. And he decides instead they're going to Scotland. And like, he sets out in a carriage and is like, you guys, you bring that whore in the following carriage and she has to ride with the servants. I don't want her riding with my daughter. So it was like Pippa was still with that group, but Pippa was in like with her nanny in a carriage. And then in the other carriage, it was her with the servants, like in the middle of the night. Oh my God. And he's the person she had sex with. Like how does she sit there and take that? Because I would be like, the only person I marketed myself to was you behind a bush for 120 seconds, you fucking Mm -hmm. piece of shit. I don't understand how, oh my gosh. I mean, I don't like, did she light something on fire? And she told him, she says directly to him, I'm not a whore. I only slept with you once before. And he like, he just full on like shuts that down. He's like, I never slept with you before. And as God is my witness, I will never sleep with you again. Um, mm. Yeah. Like, wow. so he won't wow. listen to her. He doesn't believe her. Um, she kind of like, so they go off to Scotland and he has some time to cool down. He ends up getting there way before her because like she's a really kind person and the servants really like and respect her. And so during the journey up, she actually like would ride in the thing with Pippa. They would stop and they would have lunches and she's like, I'm in no rush to see this guy. So they took a long time (laughs) to Scotland. And so it gave him some time to like kind of ruminate and wonder. And then he comes up with a story in his brain. He's like, she slept with my brother. She's always said that she met me when she had to have met my brother because I would remember if I had met her. So what happened is that she slept with my brother. And so he had to go through this big struggle of like, how could he forgive her for sleeping with his brother, even though she said she slept with him. But I guess like if there was anyone and because she was under the, because she believed she had slept with him, like, Maybe I can't be mad at her. And so he does this, like, he finally kind of, she gets back and he comes around and he's like, I'm so sorry. I I now realize what's happened. And I will say at this point, she doesn't like really correct him. Like, he's like, you slept with my brother. And she's like, in her brain, she knows like, no, I didn't. But she's at the same time like, I don't want to rock the boat with this rage-filled guy. <laughs> oh she's sort of like... Ah, uh, this is my husband now. I guess I have to deal with him. He said he's too angry. Yeah, too angry. He says really mean things. Um, and so he kind of like forgives her. And 
Um, they actually then, you know, things are honeymoon phase again. It's actually going really well. But then tragedy of tragedy, he gets pulled away and has to go to the um, continent to help um, his friend. Oh, and I will say, okay, before he went away, he was so surprised as they kind of reunite and are having sex again. He's like, why isn't she as responsive anymore? Because some of the things he said, like, was a lady would never respond to sex this way. I should have known no lady would enjoy sex the way you have. So he's like having sex with her. And she's like, why is she being so quiet now? And why won't she like, why isn't she enjoying it? And she had to be like, I'm trying to have sex the way a lady will have sex. Oh my God. This is so broken. (laughs) So broken. So there's a lot of like, wonderful uh you know communication that they have to do around like oh no you can enjoy sex as long as it's with me (laughs) oh my gosh Ah! I'm sorry it kills me so anyway like I hated him I like he feels like (laughs) a villain he doesn't feel like who you want your heroine to be with um but then he goes on this rescue mission to Italy to help a friend which like Even then, when he goes on this mission, he doesn't do it because, like, he has empathy for what the friend is going through, which is, like, basically his friend's sister. A lot of his family was, like, taken out by the whole revolution that happened in France and Napoleon and all that stuff. Um, But he finds out that his sister is still there, and so it's, like, a rescue mission to go get the sister of this friend. And... It's not like he does this because he's like, oh, I really feel bad for him. He's like, I'm a gentleman and gentlemen do this. I'm leaving to do this. It's like, okay. Um, And it's only supposed to take two months. It takes six. Charlotte has like her bleeding right before he leaves. So they're like, well, she's not pregnant. Um, So that's good to know. Um, But while he's gone it turns out that she actually was pregnant and really she like bled that first day that he left but then didn't have any more bleeding so it was more like a heavy spotting situation Mm -hmm. um but he doesn't know this and two months turns to six um and it like kind of turned out that even at that point I don't know it works out that he gets back kind of at like the eight month mark. <laughs> oh my God. He just She's like down. super heavily pregnant. But then another thing that happens during this time is that the twin brother Patrick comes back into town and her and Patrick meet for the first time. And when she first sees him, immediately she thinks it's him at first glance across a crowded room and she swoons in public. And so this gets the rumor mills a turn in. Everyone's like, oh, there's a thing between them. Like, it's scandal. And um, yeah, it puts them in this really awkward situation of like, okay, this is the first time I'm meeting them. And like the minute she like actually talks to him, she's like, oh, like I can obviously tell you are not Alex. It was just like, she wasn't expecting to see him. She'd been missing him for months and he just happened to be there. So upon first glance, she's like, oh, it's him. Um, and he 
like it gets written up in the tabloids. And because of all this really hard, difficult, like stuff, this talk that's going on, she flees away to go back up to Scotland um, to, or, or to their summer manor. Actually, it was their summer manor. I don't think it was Scotland. Um, but does she still have a house in Wales? <laughs> she does still have a house in Wales, and that comes into play. Um, but so yeah, she flees away. Like her, she sees Patrick one other time outside of things, just to be like, "Well, it was nice to meet you. Like this is the talk that's going on. Let's like try to avoid each other until Alex is back, because I just don't want to make things worse." Um, and then she's, of course, very heavily pregnant while Alex is in. It, uh, where he started in France, kind of ends up in Italy. He now realizes, like, you know what? I do love Charlotte. I love her. And I'm just now realizing this because I really miss having sex with her. Um, like, I love Charlotte, and I need to tell her when I get back because that seemed important to her. So I guess I'll tell her when I get back. And it's, I like, mean, also, like, Charlotte, get a pen and paper, and write a letter. Well, but part of the difficulty is because he's on this rescue mission, he's like spying. He's going behind enemy lines in France. And it takes so long. Yeah, like, so there's not even a way to get the message to him. It's ridiculous. And while he's in French, he, France, he also recovers. The government's like, oh, that's great. You're helping your friend. While you're there, we also need you to pick up this other package, which turns out that it was something that included letters from Napoleon to Josephine, like between them, love letters that they wrote before Josephine had divorced her husband. So it was big scandal that they could hold over Napoleon. Like, see all these weird random, like, things. Yeah. I didn't need that side story. I didn't need that side story at all. (laughs) You're like, okay, fun. Yes. Um, So he returns. And before he, first of all, he is really upset to find that she isn't at the house waiting for him. Like, she's not there. How could she not be waiting for him? His friend, his family was there waiting for him at the dock. Why wasn't Charlotte waiting for him to return? Um, So he, like, goes to his solicitor um, as he's, like, or before he goes to his solicitor, one of his servant-type people, like, shows him the gossip things about her being with Patrick. And now it's rumored that she's heavy with child. And because she's such a tall lady, it looks like she's very newly pregnant, even when she's very far along in her pregnancy. And she's like, just like her mother, really, I am five or six months pregnant, but it looks like I'm only three months pregnant situation. So now the 10 also believes she's having the love child of Patrick. Because clearly, Alex is impotent and gone. I mean, it's like she can't escape the drama mill. The no. rumor. No, she is she is giving them all the fodder that they need. And so he goes straight to his solicitor and he's like, draw up divorce papers. <laughs> Hasn't spoken to her yet. Hasn't seen her in person. But And even the solicitor is like, I actually did my due diligence, sir, and I don't believe anything about the rumors about her and your husband or and, and your brother. Like, I don't think, like, from everything, I had private investigators look into it. There is nothing that can corroborate these theories. And 
I I do have it confirmed that she's pregnant, but I would say like go home, see her. If the child is born within the next couple weeks, that kid is going to be yours because Patrick wasn't even back by then. But like give it a couple weeks, um, see if she has child, and if she doesn't, then maybe we should pursue this. And he's like, no, drop the paperwork, and I'll tell you whether or not I want it filed. But I want it ready and waiting. So he like goes up and sees her. She's at their place where they go in the summer to get away from the coal dust because the coal dust, she thinks, might be bad for little ones. Um, it's the new science that she's hearing. So good to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> random details. And he comes across her. She's having a picnic with Pippa um, and the nanny. And the nanny actually sees him kind of like coming in in this very dark and gloom. And so she like instantly grabs Pippa and runs away is like, oh, I got to get this child out of this situation. Good sign. It's a really good sign when, you know, yeah. you're a literal storm cloud. Yes. And she like sees him and she is overcome with joy to see that her love has returned. Like he'll be He's here for sad. the birth of their child. And this guy, the rage, like he just sees her and it's like, she can't possibly be pregnant enough for this to have been me. And he goes into another tirade again about her being a whore, saying all these horrible, awful things to her. <laughs> and like, I, he's like, I could accept the fact that you lost your virginity to my brother, but the fact that you would be seeing him behind my back and da 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 da. And she's like, no, like, you can't know. Like, this is all not true. Like, I'm going to have your baby any day now. Like, and he just says, listen. He doesn't listen at all. It's really frustrating. <laughs> and her, oh my God. her friend has visited this time. And, like, the friend goes and finds Alex in the this little library or whatever study. And she's like, maybe you should go see your brother. Go talk to your brother. Maybe he can talk some sense into you. Like, because she loves you. She didn't cheat on you. This is your child. And if you're not going to believe us, go talk to your brother. Because maybe you'll believe a man. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, I'll do that. And the minute he heads off to there, her and her friend are like, to Wales. <laughs> like, we're going to like run away from here. Like, we can't deal with him. Because another thing he said, he's like, well, you're going to have this baby now. And the minute you have that baby, I'm going to take it from you. And I'm going to leave you like to rot, basically. So she's like, he's going to steal my baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. No, Alexander's the worst. He's hideous. And so they run off to Wales. He eventually finds his brother. It takes him like a week to track him down. And instantly upon talking with his brother, he's like, my brother is telling the truth. I still don't understand. Oh, my God. Yeah. He yeah. believes the man. He believes the man. He believes his brother. Um, and he still, like, is confused about things because he's like, okay, so this is my child. But this still, like, I don't understand, like, who's the man she slept with if it wasn't my brother. It can't have been me. Because um, he's the worst. <laughs> and also there's an element where you're like, Charlotte, just bring up the fucking place where you saw him. Like, don't just say, don't you remember me? Don't say, yes, I slept with you once. Say, I slept with you at a ball in a garden. I didn't know who you were. It was a masquerade. Like, just fucking get the words out. 
need some necessary details yes. that will his memory. Do something, do something specific because you know what? It, it, I he's probably slept with a lot of women, so it's yeah. like he probably can't really. You know, he needs a little bit more specifics, a little bit more guidance he, to just help jog the old noggin. Um, so, anyways. <laughs> He's like, oh, I have to find her. And it takes him a little bit to get to where um, she is. She's actually, as he arrives, having the baby. And Sophie did, re- the friend reached out to say, like, come quickly if you want to see your child born. So that's how he's able to find where they were. Prediction, it's a boy. I think it is. I can't remember. Yeah. I've blocked it out, but I think it probably is. Yeah. It's a boy. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So he arrives there, and the birth is going okay until she sees him, and she goes into a fucking panic attack because she's like, "This guy is going to steal my child." Like last time I saw him, he swore that he was going to take my child and ruin me, and not let me see my baby. So she almost dies in childbirth, and he kind of goes in like his brother tells him like you need to like go and help her through this you need to somehow make this okay um so he he goes in and he like brings her back from the edge of the death and um the love and strength pull her back but she gives the credit to him like he's like oh it was because of his presence that we were able to do this um but really, I mean, she did the work, obviously. I mean, oh my gosh. The only thing he did was almost kill her with his mere presence because he sent her into like a trauma response because he's an abusive narcissist. He is. And like, and then he does his like, his super big like love bombing of like, you're just so good for me and I don't deserve me you and I'm the worst and you're amazing and you're the only one that could see like the best of me. And you're here like, you're like, yeah. He is the worst. Don't listen to him. This is stupid. This is bullshit. And and it's just kind of crazy because then it ends there. Like them have, living through it, having the child kind of ends there. But then there's a prologue. Or not prologue. <laughs> epilogue. And at first at this point, I almost wanted to throw the book because I'm like, you did not seriously just conclude this book, at least the main meat of the book, without resolving the fact that he still doesn't believe that he slept with her in the first place, that he still is of the belief that she slept with someone else, even after all, like how, how have we not fucking resolved this before the epilogue? (laughs) So the way that this gets resolved is it's Alex's birthday. And so she makes special plans and it's like kind of a surprise thing where the twin brother kind of and friends help make it happen where they kind of recreate a Cyprian's ball and like they give him the same outfit to wear from the night when they met and she wore her same outfit that she wore on that night. And so he comes into the ball, he sees Charlotte, his garden girl across the way and he goes to her and he's just like it was you and I hated it I fucking hated it 
Oh my god. I have gotta say that is hard. That's that is Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So overall, as you can probably tell, dear listeners, I had a hard time with this one. Like Alex was just so full of rage. He was an abuser, and I found absolutely nothing redeemable about him at all. They've got to be redeemable. There has to be something about them that's like a kernel of goodness, or maybe they're misunderstood, or maybe everyone's wrong about them. You know what I'm saying? But like mm-hmm. with him, he fully believed his the sexist, you know, the sexist ideas. He embraced them. He like what was his arc? Right? Like did yeah. he? You know, like at, by the end of it, was he like, you know, I need to yeah. change, or I need to trust my wife, or I need to just love her, love her for who she is. No, I don't, I don't sense. I think he kind of just, I don't, I don't even know. I, I didn't read it, but like, it sounds like he just kind of acquiesced and kind of accepted that. I don't know. This is yeah, it. And what you're saying was actually similar um, to what I saw some other people say, where they said there was no emotional growth that happened for him. Like his arc didn't include any emotional growth. The only reason he ever even comes around and changes his opinions is because he just wants to fuck her so bad. It's never because he's grown in any way. Um, yeah, it it's just, it's not good. And, and then it's disappointing seeing Charlotte because even when we see these historical romances, a lot of times we are offered a very strong heroine, even if she's kind of living in these times where women weren't as strong, but she's just constantly conquered by her like lust toward him as well. Um, She has boundaries. And then the minute like he like comes and tries to seduce her, she's like, what boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. And I wonder if, Okay, so I'll say this and then I'll add a caveat. I wonder if by the end of the book, she feels less ruined. Like if she has like processed any of that. And I understand it's Regency England. So like maybe that wouldn't be an arc that she consciously experiences, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. just so ingrained in, you know, you at the time that that does. But I kind of would hope for her to feel a little less soiled, you know? I do think so. And I honestly think that's part of what draws her to him. If she ends up with this man who was the man that she first slept with that took her virginity, then she wasn't ruined. I see. I mean, that's what it feels like, right? Right. No, that's okay. So her redemption is still through the man. Yes. Yeah. It's no sort of like um, inner healing that's done around the idea of being ruined. I'd really truly believe that the minute that it's like, okay, I'm going to marry him. Um, even though she's not kind of voicing, like really standing up for the fact that, Hey, it was you, Hey, it was you. Like she'll kind of throw it out there in passing. But then other than that, just lets him, um, verbally assault her over and over again. Um, like in her heart, she's like, but I know I'm not ruined. I know this is how it's meant to be because this is like, I'm obviously super attracted to him and this is the man that took my virginity. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. A little bit of a yikes there. Okay, so I can totally understand, you know, how that might have been hard to read. I, I'm i kind of glad you broke this down for me because I couldn't imagine the sheer flames 
flames on the side of my face. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been reading this. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, I mean, I didn't make it through, as we all remember, the flower, uh, flame of the flower, but I did make it through this one. So it wasn't quite as horrible as the flame of the flower. Um, (laughs) But I would be really curious to revisit some of her later works. um, And like, I know that she has heroes in her books that people absolutely love. Um, Like even in her FAQ section, like it brings up a specific uh, hero. So it's obviously a guy that's kind of really stuck (laughs) with the readers. Um, So I definitely think that she probably has gone through so much growth. And I think for me, what I want to take from this is when I am exploring a new um, author, I think I want to rather kind of look up like what's been their most popular work uh, as opposed to kind of where did they start? Um, Because everyone, we always get better as our craft as time goes on. And um, she's clearly beloved. And I want to know a little bit more about um, the author that she's kind of really grown into. Yeah. And I think that's fair. And I think also, I think there's something to say about like, you know, sometimes um, characters who make us mad it's an interesting experience, right? Because like, we don't always have to write perfect characters. Sometimes it's like we write characters that are really imperfect and who knows? I mean, this was, this story was very accurate to the mindset of the time, right? So it's kind of like, it's like we hate them. It was probably close to reality. I'm not a historian or anything. So it's kind of like, perhaps that's the, it's the point. It's like, well, this was, you know, I, I can't speak for the author or whatever, but you know, um, we're, we don't always have to like characters. Um, but like it had an effect, right? Like it had an yeah. effect. It made us really think like, I don't, I hate this mindset. I hate this sexist belief. I hate these toxic gender roles. Like I hate oppressive systems, things like that. So like, yeah. I think, you know, in a sense, it's like, maybe the book does serve sort of a purpose. It's like, this is like, you know, kind of not a healthy example <laughs> of love. <laughs> I don't, or, you know, I don't know. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But it, yeah. I think also proper representation of healthy relationships is important too. It's always <laughs> important. We always love to see those healthy relationships. And, you know, one of the reasons we even do this podcast is because we also recognize how rarely <laughs> those healthy situations get represented. Yeah. And how complicated humans are in both fictional form and actually, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. so, but I am, I, I enjoyed listening to you. This was, this was kind of cool. Like I, I definitely want to check out more of her work. And I think, you know, um, I love me a good region Sierra. So I will, I'm going to keep coming back. Yeah. How, have you finished up Bridgerton season two? I haven't even started it. <gasps> what? I know. No. I, you know what's happening is like everyone's watching it. And I say that both like socially, like everyone's watching it. So I'm a little bit like, I'm going to take a step back because it feels like a crowded party that I just feel overwhelmed by. But no, like literally mm-hmm. I have so many people accessing my Netflix account, trying to watch it. Like my, my, uh, my friend, 
my sister-in-law technically at this point, you know, um, they're all watching Bridgerton. <laughs> so I, I only have so many screens. And if I want to pay $6.99 more a month, I can get more screens, but I literally can't because everyone else is watching Bridgerton. So like, I <laughs> watch it. <laughs> like, I, it's happened to me more than once. I've like logged on Netflix and they're like, sorry, so-and-so is watching Bridgerton. <laughs> Bridgerton. If you want to pay six more dollars, you can watch your own Netflix account. I'm like, this is my Netflix account. <laughs> See, you, I my the way I approached it is I got to the party really early. Um, it came out on a Friday, and so I had this weird experience on Thursday, like Thursday night. I went to sleep at like early for me. I think I'd gone to bed at like ten, which for me is very early to go to sleep. And then I woke up at 1230 and was like really jerked awake and I couldn't get back to sleep for the life of me. And I think part of this was I had a coffee way too late in the day and apparently that now affects me. Um, And I think another part was like, I think I maybe just like kind of breathed a little bit weird. And so like had that moment of like awakening with a, I'm not breathing. Um, and so that like created all the adrenaline in the system. So after trying to go to sleep, I was like, did, is Bridgerton out now <laughs> at 1230 AM on Friday? And I proceeded to watch four episodes of Bridgerton, four hours of Bridgerton. Wow. And- you were until like dawn. I was up and, and it was one of those situations where the sun is like coming up and you're like, oh, I fucked up. I fucked up. That. That's a TikTok sound. I know what you're talking about. And it's always the TikTok people use like when you've been watching anime all night with your friends and you're like, yeah. oh, oh shit. Oh, I fucked up. Yeah. And nothing provides more serotonin for me than that TikTok sound because it literally takes me back in time. So yes, thank you so much. Yes. For- <laughs> Reminding me, like yeah. the absolute sheer pure pleasure of staying up till dawn yeah. when you're in middle school or high school with a friend mm-hmm. watching a show. Yeah, that's the thing, what I want to do. The thing that it reminded me of was there was a time when I was studying abroad over in England, and so I was kind of living in the housing for students, and I got really addicted to this game called Sid Meier's Pirates, uh, which was a computer game where you played as a pirate, and the whole point of the action was you would sail around plunder ships and seduce the daughters of governors. Um, And I played it all the way through the night. And all of a sudden there's like this kind of tapping at my window and I look at it and my friends are down there and I was like, Oh, and they're like, did, did you go to bed? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I, I didn't. Did you go to bed? Like just- <laughs> I, I kept being like, I'll just plunder one more ship. I'll just seduce one more daughter. Um, yeah. Isn't that always how it is? Yes. Sometimes you just, you just one more daughter. One more daughter. <laughs> sure. Good time. Get a present from her. Don't impress her too much, though, because then you'll have to marry her, and then that ruins your fun. <laughs> okay, Alexander. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, so then – the next night, uh, Friday night, I watched the remaining four. And so everyone's like getting started. And I was like, I finished it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you, oh, were so in good. And out. you were in and out. You were like, you were like that person, you know, like when the DMV opens 
Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> those people that are in line at like six in the morning yes. with like all their, all their paperwork ready to go. That yep. was you watching Bridgerton. It was. Um, it was. Yeah. No. Okay. So I I need to get on. I need to get on that boat. I need to plunder yeah. that boat because plunder that boat. Good. And if you're if you can't access Netflix because people are hijacking your uh, pirating <laughs> your account, then you should go watch the pirate show. Our flag means death on HBO because it brought me so much joy. Like it's queer, it's historical, it's Taika Waititi and um, Reese Darby. Do it, do it, do it, do it. See it. It's great. We love all those things. Okay, we've given our yeah. recs. This is amazing. I'm, I'm excited. I'm next time. I'm going to tell you about Punk Fifty Seven. Yeah. Tell me about some bullying, sexy times. <laughs> yes, but yes, and this is a complicated read as well, so there'll be a good opportunity for that. Yeah, it'll be ah. compli- the bully trope is complicated. It's, it's not. It's, it's, yes, it's inherently problematic to start. Um, yes. So it's. I can't wait to dig in. Yes, yes, <laughs> and and I think. Uh, very important will be the redemption arc aspect of the it redemption and whether, arc how aspect. that's handled. Like you can't just ignore it like you could in Regency times. <laughs> you can't be an asshole. You've got to grow. You've got to realize you've got a heart of gold. Yes. The, the gold heart that's underneath it all is very important. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us listeners. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again soon on A A Real Real Bodice River. River. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much easier when we're in person. I don't know. We'll see how it (laughs) plays. All right. I'll see if we try. We definitely try. I'll see you this weekend, Rachel. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to A Real Bodice Ripper. Intro, outro, trailer music is Air by D. Yan Ki. You can find us and talk to us at the following. Instagram at A Real Bodice Ripper. Twitter at A-R-B-R Podcast. Or email us at arealbodiceripper at gmail.com. Take a care. And many felicitations upon your household. <laughs> <laughs>